Hi, I'm Ethan Berry. And I am Gemma Pearl. Here at My Rain Gauge is Busted, we talk about all things climate and farming and explore stories from farmers, researchers and innovative folks about our weather, the seasons and the climate, about what's normal and what isn't, and the great work underway that is well setting us up for the future. Today, in what will be the first episode of My Rain Gauge is Busted, we thought we would start by talking about some of the history and the projects in Victorian agriculture that have brought us to where we are today regarding decision-making on-farm with seasonal variation and climate in mind. But the main question we want to answer today is, what makes the break team qualified to talk about this stuff? We will be introducing you to a few experts that will become very familiar voices to you on this podcast. I've been working with the break team for a while now, and as the overall understanding of the way that climate affects our conditions gets stronger, we work harder to make sure that climate science can be useful for making decisions on farm. As you listen to each episode of this podcast, we will be tracking down key information from our local leaders in the industry. So now that you've met me and Gemma, let's take you back to July 2005, where it all began. I think it was emerging. So I think there, there was understanding about El Nino and La Nina. There was some other climate drivers that were starting to be understood through the science community of what might have been driving the variations in the uh, climate and the weather. So I think that was sort of just starting to come to the fore and through the 90s there had been, a, I think, a fairly big investment in seasonal climate understanding and it was getting to the point where there were some stories to be told. That was Chris Sounness, who led the initial break project here at Agriculture Victoria in partnership with Deanne Ferrier. Climate and weather was talked about indirectly at a lot of our top crop farmer meetings. We often presented rainfall deciles and what that meant for crop growth, so integrating rainfall that everyone talks about and what our crops looked like at the time. And we also used French and Schultz and PICAL yield projection calculations and we discussed those regularly at our meetings, which was really great because yeah, as the season evolved, you could continue to have that discussion. I don't think it was till we received funding from the Managing Climate Variability Project that we actually discussed climate drivers in depth. But prior to that, it was an indirect conversation. Um, but growers always talk about rainfall and concepts around that and crop growth. So indirectly, we've talked about it for a long time. The most classic example of a climate driver is the El Nino Southern Oscillation, which you might have heard of before. There's a lot of climate drivers around the world and they have a big impact on rainfall. We asked Dale Gray, who's been working on the brake products since their inception, what the understanding around climate drivers was at the time. So back then, um, it was initially when we started, it was very much about ENSO, El Nino Southern Oscillation, El Nino and La Nina, uh, because that was perceived to, you know, there was a feeling around that that didn't affect Victoria or hadn't affected Victoria much. It was a Queensland thing. Um, and then I must admit, I was probably of that belief as well, because I'd seen data and, and analysis to suggest that that was the case. Um, but but once you started looking into some of this stuff, um, it was it certainly became apparent that that wasn't the case. That that certainly El Ninos and La Ninas had absolutely affected Victoria and quite significantly so. Um, but even up in like up in Queensland, there are years where El Nino and La Nina has, hasn't affected Victoria, and it was sort of 
important to try and sort of tease out um, the differences in some of those years, I suppose. Um, the interesting thing was that in 2006, that the phenomena called the Indian Ocean Dipole, while it was originally done in a paper in 1993 by um, Japanese researchers, um, had really not been talked about at all in anything that I'd heard of. So I only I learnt of the Indian Ocean Dipole in 2006, um, and and that was a bit of a revelation because it started explaining some other years which had been kind of dry where El Nino hadn't necessarily been to blame. Um, so what was also a revolution at that time was that um, Peter McIntosh and Gary Myers from uh, CSRO Atmospheric Physics in Hobart had put together a paper where they'd actually classified the last sort of 115 or 120 years uh, using historic sea surface temperature data sets. But the, we had years with the, with the climate drivers against them. And that was a revolution because that allowed you to plug it into a spreadsheet. Um, if people don't know, I'm a bit of a data nerd. So it was possible to start looking at the effects of both of these climate drivers on uh, rainfall. And it turned out that the, the Indian Ocean Dipole had a very similar effect to, uh, to ENSO in Victoria. Um, and some of our driest years had been when it had coupled up together with uh, at the drier end of the Indian and Pacific Ocean and some of our wettest years who ended a couple together in the, the very, the wet end of uh, Indian and Pacific Ocean phenomena. Dale Gray is a seasonal risk agronomist here at Agriculture Victoria. Seasonal climate research and extension is still a very young science. We also now understand that it's not just the El Nino Southern Oscillation and the Indian Ocean Dipole that affect our climate here in southeastern Australia but also the subtropical ridge, the southern annular mode, the Madden-Julian oscillation and east coast lows, just to name a few. They all have different effects on how much rain we get and some years we see them and some years we don't. I asked Dale about these more recent climate driver discoveries. Well, they, they came along a bit later as we um, discovered them ourselves, I suppose. And uh, it was a time where uh, the members of the project were going along to all manner of conferences uh, around Australia uh, on climate and weather. And uh, I'm sure that that Chris and Deanne and myself would, can well remember some of those early conferences where we've listened to the first three or four talks and we've looked at each other and just gone, didn't understand a thing they said there. I didn't understand a single one of those images and plots. You know, we were starting at the bottom end. We had next, well, we had no knowledge whatsoever almost. So um, everything we were hearing and listening was new. Everything was scary. Everything. So it took a long time to kind of develop our, our understanding and confidence. But, but things like um, the subtropical ridge of high pressure, which was um, done by Bertrand Timble from the Bureau and the Southern Annular Mode, um, which was uh, invented by Gary Marshall from the U UK, uh, that, that kind of appeared in some of these conferences that we were going to. And, in, and instantly we were able to, to look at these things and go, oh, I think we can use that or we can uh, incorporate into, into our material because it's clearly a climate driver that affects our in Victoria. Um, and once again, the other good thing was that for both of those climate drivers, you know, it was possible to get data sets where you could characterise years where things had been positive or negative or high or low pressure. Uh, and once again, you could start doing analysis of rainfall 
um, and, and convince yourself and hopefully the farmers that we're talking to that indeed these climate drivers had at times significantly affected Victoria's rainfall. The break newsletter took off with more than 1,300 subscribers. The beauty of it was that we enjoyed being the conduit between the science research community and the agricultural on-ground farming community and it was a one-stop shop for information for both sectors, which that was our aim, I suppose. And I think without that link, we wouldn't have generated the interest for people to engage and um, we wanted to make this one worthwhile and special. So we had an overview of what was currently happening across the regions. That morphed into also including the water storages because at the time, yeah, water storage was a major discussion, still is. The next page was about climate drivers. Uh, then we also had decile and pycal yield projections on a page. So looking at what the rainfall was, how that fitted with long-term averages and what our potential yields were. And then we also added yield profits. So linking the crop science into the climate science and just general rain, rainfall um, for your projections and ultimately income. And towards the end, uh, we had what we called Chris's baby, the fiver. Once we got there, it was a really thoughtful, interesting left field discussion, often humorous, a little tongue in cheek, but we thought it had personality and it was a really useful engagement with the number of emails because the newsletter became so popular at times we had 2,000 emails being sent out and so we would crash the system at DPI Horsham. <laughs> and uh, anyway, we had a lot of power. <laughs> so we wouldn't send it until later at, later at night when people had knocked off. Um, anyway, connectivity still remains an issue to this day. So I, I'm not sure how uh, yeah that would be overcome now. As the team better understood the seasonal climate space and the models, it became very evident to them that when a range of the different climate models across the world were all predicting and indicating the same patterns, that was when seasonal model predictions could be most powerful. Chris Soundis was at a meeting somewhere in Canberra or Melbourne and was just proposing the theory that could the Bureau or could someone start summarising what a lot of the models were saying around the world rather than just looking at one model, could someone put up an analysis of a number of models? And the Bureau come back sort of saying, well, they would feel quite uncomfortable making comment on other other researchers' models from around the world. So, so clearly it fell to someone who was independent of that kind of model process. And uh, Chris rang me up one day and said, do you think you could have a crack at you know, looking at a number of different models and summarising them. I thought, gee whiz, that's going to be interesting. It was really a case of, you know, searching around and seeing, A, what I could find, what was publicly available and what was updating itself, you know, sort of on a monthly basis and, you know, had an archive of things that you could go back and look at. So there might have been only about eight or nine models initially in that very first newsletter. And it... Uh, it's essentially the same thing that we see today. It, it's that analysis of the Nino 3.4 area in the middle of the Pacific, the analysis of the Eastern Indian Ocean and whether there's potential Indian Ocean dipole activity happening there, um, an analysis of what the rainfall looked for Victoria as a whole uh, and and temperature. And that was, so at that time we were running breaks and fast breaks. They were coming out within about a week of each other. It was It was a crazy time. Dale, yeah, really ran with it and sort of worked out in a way in one page expressing the 10 or 15 different models 
in a one-page snapshot, crammed full of information. Um, but for a certain group of people that are information hungry, it was yeah, a very popular product because, as I say, it put all the models in the one spot, allowed you to see how they're all going, if there was consensus or not. Because that was a lot of our messaging is when there was consensus, that was when you'd be most alert to what the models were saying. And when they're not saying much or they're all going in different directions, you probably don't get that excited by them. The fast break table quickly became a very powerful tool to summarise what is happening in seasonal forecasting. This was the first time in southeastern Australia that information about multiple different model outputs were summarised in a format accessible to the agricultural community. Yeah, for the first time, we were probably putting these model outputs in a in a table that were allowing farmers to kind of look at them, I suppose. And we had a, a hypothesis that looking at a number of models would be better than looking at one model alone, particularly when we now had some real big computer models working as well as statistical systems as well, which were relatively simpler. And I think it would have been, I'm trying to remember, I think that very first year that we did it turned out to be a, a positive Indian Ocean dipole. And there was a lot of sniffs of drier around at that time as well. And yeah, there was there was something going on in that very first one that was a very different story to the statistical forecast from the Bureau. Um, there were exciting things going on and they were, uh, it was, it was going to be a pity not to share them with people. While the team were on to some winning products with the break and fast break newsletters, it didn't stop them looking to other communication methods to help upskill the entire agricultural industry. I guess we're, we're at a conference in Sydney listening to um, some climate scientists talk about the big 2006 drought and someone referred to it as the three-headed dog because, um, you know, the El Nino in the Pacific and the IOD in the dry phase uh, in the Indian Ocean and then Sam was, um, uh, the fronts were a long way south. And we had a bit of a chat about it thinking, three-headed dog, you know, that's a good analogy, but we've never seen a three-headed dog. And when we go visiting farms, we're used to, you know, um, the the sheepdogs coming up and surrounding you. And I, I grew up on a farm, so... So we're conscious of those dogs running around, but also made a bit of sense that it's not just one dog, it's probably each of them, you know, the dogs sort of work as a bit of a pack, but also individual dogs have different behaviours. So it sort of made sense that, you know, some of those bigger droughts are when all of the all of the dogs went through the fence and, and misbehaved and that they had moods each year like those oceans did. So whenever um, we were doing a lot of face-to-face presentations with farmers and whenever we said it's, you know, these four... Uh, sheepdogs that round up our rainfall Um, and sometimes they're really behaving and all's going well but then sometimes they can really misbehave and it makes the job of farming a lot harder and it always got a bit of a bit of a smile and a bit of a laugh from farmers so we knew we were sort of onto a bit of a good little yarn. That was Graham Anderson the climate specialist here at Agriculture Victoria explaining how the award-winning climate dog video series came to life. You can find links to check out each of the climate dog videos in the show notes. Yes, I won the Cinema Award, Science um, Short Animation of the Year Award and a few things like that. And they've been gone, um, DPI New South Wales um, uh, adapted them for their region and then they've been adapted through the Managing Climate Variability Program. Um, so they've been adapted for all of Australia now, there's climate dogs uh, that are sitting on the Climate Kelpie website. So they've gone on and I guess there was a good lesson in that just about, you know, while the science can be quite complex, um, it can always be, you know, simplified into something that's entertainment that gets the message across. Um, I got into the climate stuff, which was in the early 2000s when I read a climate science report for Australia and 
couldn't quite believe what I was reading about what was being measured, what was happening in the atmosphere and oceans. And, and I thought, you know what, um, we rely on climate a lot in agriculture. We probably should be tapping into this a bit more. So that was quite um, a big change there because thinking, you know, we have a lot to do with ag science, but um, probably in agriculture, we're not as well connected to the, the climate and atmospheric science that's going on as we should be because it's all important and we know how much you know variation of seasons and seasonal variability and climate risk has a really big impact on farm businesses so I guess it was from that point that we decided to try and spend a bit more time hanging around with the climate scientists and try and do some some extension and help explain that to Victorian farmers. Dale, Chris, Deanne and Graham were all quick to point out that without the knowledge and assistance by many others, the awesome products that form the Brake portfolio would not be what they are today. One thing that was great with the communication with the science researchers was that we could have a discussion two ways. So they were interested in what was going on at the ground and in the paddock as much as what we were interested in. In, in regard to their scientific information or papers that were being disseminated. So it was a two-way conversation where people are, were both engaged and that was a really strong relationship to work on. Well, it was really um, quite heartwarming to see the break newsletter sitting on the desks of people at the bomb when I'd visit. I thought, oh, that's nice. <laughs> wow. And, you know, over that time... The, uh, the CSIROs and the Bureau of Meteorologies were incredibly generous to us. Um, you know, if we had questions, we'd ring people up and ask them. Uh, you know, they'd show us where websites were, were secretly hidden, <laughs> um, allow us to get into them and things. And we were often going down to the Bureau of Meteorology and, um, and you know, and allowed to sit in on some of their discussions and their meetings that they were doing in their own forecast formulations and stuff so it was uh it was an incredible time of learning back then it really was it wasn't the break wasn't a product of its own it was a product of a whole range of uh people that are far more skillful far more knowledgeable than uh deanne dale and myself and we were just we had the opportunity to interact with them and learn from them and synthesize what they were saying and then they'd provide constructive feedback of what we do well and the stuff ups we make along the way and um how to uh, hone that. So I think that's probably the other, the most important part about the break was we were in a supportive environment with the best leading thinkers in Australia from both the agronomic community, the farming community, the science community, and they're all there cheering us on. Myself, I was always keen to try and make it not just technical and dry and we I wanted to make it so it expressed a bit of personality and wasn't just about the technical, but a bit about the story. It was important to, um, I suppose, express it from our point of view, and the story was just as important as the facts. So I think some of those break surveys uh, and the climate surveys we did over the period of time were absolutely invaluable in helping us, I suppose, improve the understanding of the audience and prove what worked and what didn't work and who read it and who didn't read it and what they read and what they didn't read. Yeah, I think understanding the audience is so important. Um, it was something we could kind of hang our hat on, I suppose, that we had we had given skills to farmers to look at things that had been around, oceanographers had been doing it for 20 or 30 years, you know, maybe longer, um, but it's kind of, it had all been secreted away in the, 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 the hellos of research and science. Um, and all of a sudden we could see something that looked like, well, oh, this was interesting and cool and worth monitoring 
and it was worth talking about. Collaboration and improving their methods led to a few things getting cut and new things being born to take their place. The goal was always to get the most useful info right in the hands of people that need it so that farming and agronomic decisions could be made. And so YouTube was the next chapter in this story. I've been doing lots of talks and even webinars back then, and they'd often go from half to three quarters of an hour. And Graham said, you know, can we cut to the chase? Can we can we cut this information down to three minutes? And I was completely unconvinced that that was possible. <laughs> um, but anyway, we 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 had a go, and that first that first YouTube clip was was pretty lame, but because we didn't even have a script. Uh, but we pretty quickly learnt that if you only got three minutes to talk about something, uh, every second is precious. So over 15 years, things have evolved and changed. We no longer produce the break newsletter, the thing that started it all off. The fast break newsletter continues to be produced monthly during the growing season, which has also grown to cover summaries for South Australia, Tasmania and southern New South Wales as part of a Grains Research Development Corporation project. The Very Fast Break with Dale comes out each month, breaking down the month's rainfall, soil moisture and ocean activity, and now covers South Australia and southern New South Wales, as well as Victoria. The climate dogs have gone on to become their own phenomenon with awards and national recognition. There's a climate webinar series and now this podcast, but the aim still remains to bring relevant information to the agricultural audience. O-S-O-I-N-S-S-T's And what on earth is an IOD? Can someone please explain to me? Stay up to date, get the break. So that brings us to now. And here at The Break, we believe that anything that's out there helping get good information into the hands of people that can make the most of it is exactly what's needed. There's a lot of different approaches and technologies that are available today and a lot of busy people making strides and trying new things, but it's never been more important to understand more about what's happening with our climate. What's driving wetter and drier years and what are some of the significant changes happening because of climate change that impact our farms locally? There's a real thirst for people that want to dig a bit deeper and that's the opportunity that we want to provide here at The Break Team. We want to talk about some of the questions we receive regularly, some of the key things that you need to know, and we'll bring you the experts to answer some of the trickier issues around climate and farming. Dear listeners, this is My Rain Gauge is Busted. Thank you for listening to My Rain Gauge is Busted. For more episodes in this series, find us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We would love to hear your feedback, so please leave a comment or rating and share this series with your friends and family. All information is accurate at the time of release. Contact Agriculture Victoria or your consultant before making any changes on farm. This podcast was developed by Agriculture Victoria.